0: Two, zero, three. Okay, we gotta get over there. Can you borrow a dress from Cecile or something?
1: I'm not going. What do you mean? We're going, Gant's Gonna do it right there. Shut up. Lenny, park your mouth and listen. It's a setup. Think about it. Why is he sending tapes to you? To freak you? Get you to rush in without thinking? Put a bullet in you, wanting her and the gun in your hand?
2: Yeah, that sounds right. I'm going.
1: You're gonna get yourself killed for this? Uh, for this toxic waste, bitch? What the fuck are you doing? Ugh. This is your life! Right here! Right now! It's real time! You hear me? Real time! Time to get
2: real, not playback. You understand me? She doesn't love you
1: anymore. Maybe she did once, I don't know, but she doesn't now. These are used emotions. It's time to trade them in. Memories were meant to fade, Lenny. They're designed that way for a reason. Have you ever been in love with someone who didn't return that love? Yeah, Lenny. I...
0: You are listening to TMB DOS, They Must Be Destroyed On site. The following podcast may contain adult language and discussions of an adult nature. Spoilers for the films discussed occur often. You have been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch.
2: They must be destroyed on site.
0: We're back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on site. episode 206. And I'm your host, Lee, your main connection to the switchboard of the soul, Russell. <laughs> and I am joined by my co-host, I'm Daniel. I'm
3: waiting for this one. I'm waiting for this one. Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Daniel, enough political juice to squash your ass like a stink bug, Harper. How are you doing, sir?
3: <laughs> Nicely done, my friend. Nicely done. Yeah. I was wondering, because uh, this is a film I know very well, and I was I was going through and going like, Is he gonna make me sound cool, or is he gonna make me sound like a douchebag? It could have gone either way.
0: No, I mean this movie kind of like really goes up your alley, and I was like, yeah, there's a lot of great quotes here. I'm gonna find one cool for Daniel this time. I'm not gonna make him look like a fucking idiot. I'm not gonna make him look like a. I'm not gonna make him look like a fucking. uh, (laughs) I don't know (laughs) what's the equivalent in this movie. Uh, Ralph, Ralph finds before you learn he's a good dude.
3: Every fucking breakfast cereal, Harper, that would be the uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: but yeah. Uh, I've heard still... things
3: about a death squad, Harper. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, that kind of fits too, doesn't it? Yeah, sadly enough. But yeah, we're uh, we're still in the '90s, and we still get like a I'd, I'd say another two weeks in the '90s at two the very weeks, least. Yeah. yeah. But we're we're gonna be talking about strange days from 1995 here uh, pretty soon. Before we get into that, uh, we do have some housekeeping to do. So uh, gonna get in the comments here really quick. Most of them are YouTube comments, but uh, I decided this week because my last couple of weeks of my life have been absolutely shit that I'm just going for positive comments. And we'll, we'll get back to the shitty YouTube comments in a week or so or whatever. But yeah, uh, yeah, right. here we go. Uh, Sam Squanch, 1996, on our Day of the Dead episode, says, Joe Palato's performance in this film is mind-blowing. And yeah, I agree. That That's the great kind of scene-chewing where it's like, it still works in the movie. It doesn't actually take the movie over it kind of works in the context of a guy who is living in a bunker who is stressed to the point where he's insane. I think it, I think it works in that, on that level. So, yeah. Uh, then we have come here, uh, Peter Theobald, who has, uh, been sort of going through our Western episodes on YouTube, although he's actually checked out a couple of our other episodes as well. And I've just gotten back to posting episodes on YouTube, by the way. So I'm almost totally caught up here. So, uh, Hopefully, Peter will hear our responses to this stuff. Uh, I actually should just message him on YouTube and say, hey, check out this episode where you respond to your comments because I do appreciate these comments you left here. So first on our Violent City episode, uh, he says, listen to your review. Uh, bought the DVD. And yes, after a second view, it really worked. Uh, with the buddy-anti-buddy thing going on, reminded... Oh, so he's talking about... So we did Violent City and we did, um, I think, Revolver in the same episode? If yeah, I'm... that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Found the uh, so City is
3: the sorry. That's the Charles Bronson yeah. race car movie. If I it, it,
0: it, no, it's it's the Charles Bronson hitman movie. Where uh, oh, okay, 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 yeah. okay, okay.
3: Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I think of it as the race car movie because he kills somebody kills. at a racetrack. Yeah. Yes, one that's, of the big. Set I did have the movie. I did have the movie correct. I was just yes. uh, describing it badly. Because I watched it once and never went back to it, but I own the DVD because I had to buy it. I remember that was one where I literally couldn't find it, and I'm like, "Rush order, deliver this DVD to me, please." <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: but yeah, yeah, we also talked about Revolver on that episode uh, with uh, Fabio Testi and Oliver, uh, Oliver Reed. Reed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he says, uh, with the buddy anti-buddy thing going on, reminded me of Salima's Western Face to Face, and I agree with that. Actually, I've seen Face to Face. Yeah, a particular favorite of mine. uh, The politics also in both films are a bonus to the main genre themes. Cheers, Lee and Daniel. Uh, Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Great comment. Uh, Then he went into uh, our great silence episode. He says, another enjoyable review of a Spaghetti Gym. May I suggest two other movies with Gian Maria Volonti in the lead role? Uh, He says, A Bullet for the General. Uh, which is, a, if I recall correctly, that's another Zapata western. So it's it's one of those Mexican Revolution westerns. And Sergio Solima's Face to Face, which he mentioned in a Violent City. I uh, would think you would both appreciate these examples of the genre. And yeah, I think we'll eventually get to those. Yeah, uh, put
3: them on the list, definitely, for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, then he went on to our Greaser's Palace episode. This is uh, another new one to me, as I'm certain this one never got any sort of release in the U.K., I have to say, this one would make a great double bill to consider with the Alex Cox movie "Straight to Hell," uh, which is one I've uh, considered doing. Uh, that I've, I have definitely mentioned uh, off air at the very least uh, to Daniel because uh, it, it's kind of a sort of a revision in the '80s of the spaghetti western. Like it, it, it very much is kind of that idea. And uh, Alex Cox, who did Repo Man, did some really interesting shit in the '80s. Uh, and yeah, "Straight to Hell" is definitely one we've been considering. So. We'll probably eventually get to that one once we get back to the '80s, you know. Yeah. Whenever that happens,
3: sometime <laughs> in 2021 or 2022.
0: Yeah, <laughs> who knows?
3: We'll 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 get bored of doing like black and white movies after like six months and jump around
0: again. Like it's yeah,
3: it's just the way we do things. It's fine.
0: Yeah, and uh, our friend and uh, fellow podcaster of the uh, Jacked Up Review Show, uh, Cameron Sullivan, says uh, good job on Q and A. I think the mentioned TV cut was on UPN way back when they were a thing. And then he goes on to say, have you ever tried guilty as sin? Uh, Lume's batshit crazy combo with uh, Larry Cohen. And no, I'd never yeah. heard of that, but I responded to him. It's like, that's something we need to put on the list. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm
3: always down for more Lume.
0: I'm I'm always down for more Lumet, and I'm also always down for more Larry Cohen. He's one of my favorites. So uh, yeah, so uh, we can move on now to what we've watched in the last little while, and uh, I'll throw over to you first, Daniel.
3: Sure, I did end up uh, watching Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Sorry, um, go listen to the last the little intermission bullshit thing that we did, mm-hmm. which I <laughs> listened to that uh, driving to work the other day, and just kind of went like, <laughs> I definitely speak differently when I'm on a podcast and have like I kind of like exert my voice and I kind of do jokes and I do, you know, I have a very different affect than when like, oh, I'm off air now. I can just like totally relax and, you know, and I sound like a completely different person. And I had really no idea to the degree to which I had to which I just pitched myself on podcast land. And so when you hear me on that episode, that's what I actually sound like in my real life. That's the that's the version of Lee. That's the version of me that Lee is friends with. And that's that's why um, Lee and I don't talk that often unless we're doing this podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, also uh, spoilers here uh, on that episode. I did do a shit a shit ton of editing, like I usually do. <laughs> like, usually, usually I'm I'm actually editing out every time you say like, <laughs> uh-huh. and and um, which is and a lot. Stuff. I agree. I know. I uh, know. Yeah. You you can yeah. honestly you can go for a sen- a sentence where you will say like about 50% of the words in your sentence can be light.
3: <laughs> you will do that. I'm, I'm aware. I'm aware. Um, because <laughs> my other podcast, Jack, does not edit those out. But I'm usually a much more awake and less uh, alcohol-infused than I am when I do this.
0: Yeah, that that was a weird night. That was a day yeah. where we everything was fucking up on my end, and Daniel's still like, no, let's do it. Let's, let's record some sort of bullshit. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. And it held out. Or ever however, how long we did it, and yeah, you know, turn it over.
3: Yeah, it was it was cute. I was just kind of listening to it and going like, "Wow, I do not sound at all like, you know, the same person." Because I also, I, I mean, I've heard myself on, you know, on other shows where they don't edit it to that degree, mm-hmm. and like, it really was very much on that. <laughs> you know, like, wow, this is just me, like, sitting back and not giving a shit about the audience. <laughs> um, you know, um, anyway. So if you listened to the last episode, I was uh, watching the Bill and Ted movies um, and being kind of vaguely uh, interested in seeing the new Bill and Ted um, uh, Face the Music uh, movie. And I said I'd watched uh, Excellent Adventure and it kind of worked out pretty well. It's cute. Um, Bogus Journey, I've always preferred Bogus Journey to Excellent Adventure. I think it's a far better film. Watching it with my wife, we had a very nice time watching it. Don't really have a, I mean, God, if we ever wanted to do these movies, I would have a lot to say about them. Something that I kind of loved as a kid and kind of got really embarrassed about, like, a certain point and really kind of uh, left behind. But revisiting yep. them, I, I do I do kind of get them better, having had, like, some distance from them. And, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're cute movies. Um, I understand if it didn't hit your particular kind of moment in pop culture history that mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily be, um, you know, kind of on board with it. But I rewatching. I am kind of like, yeah, the third one. This looks like it's something that these guys really have wanted to do for a decade or more, and it's probably going to not be completely shitty. So um,
0: that's that's kind of where I am on that. If it's even half good, I'll be all right with it. Like I, I yeah. don't, I don't it hate the like,
3: and that's the thing. Like it doesn't. The first two, they're not great movies. They're just kind of goofy and fun. It's a great way to kind of spend ninety yeah. minutes and have a couple of beers you know like it's it doesn't have to be anything more than that and i think i think, I think
0: been... that's why they've sort of prevailed through the decades is that they're uncontroversial like they're just mm. really kind of fun chill movies that you can watch and enjoy and you know there's no pretense to them at all yeah. so
3: yeah um and ed solomon the um the writer of those two movies is also writing the third one and he's a um, he's a pretty cool twitter follow if you're on twitter go go follow Ed solomon mm because he'd been tweeting about this shit for a long time like at one point he found like one of the old scripts where Mm -hmm. he had like annotations on it and he was like live tweeting the like he was turning through the pages and like taking photos and like going like oh we originally had this idea it was kind of a a cool little thing i mean he's he's a kind of a cool guy um it was like a barney guy i think you know so it's you know yeah no you're you're cool you're you're with me uh the other thing that i uh watched was uh i did finish the first season of upload
2: on Mm -hmm.
3: uh, amazon prime and uh for the audience, this is the um, series, which is a um, it's about this uh, guy in sort of near future twenty thirty three uh, kind of Silicon Valley who dies, and um, in this world you have the option of like if it looks like you're about to die, you can upload yourself into this get kind of like a you know tech utopia if you have the money to do so, right? You know, I had watched the first five when we did the last episode, and there were ten episodes in the season, and I was kind of like. Yeah, there's some good character work. I kind of like the world building. It's not really super funny, but in uh, mm-hmm. the murder mystery just kind of is completely obvious. But also this is a really enjoyable show. Having seen the full season, it is a really enjoyable show. The murder mystery is going somewhere that I wasn't expecting when I was only through with the first five, which is interesting. I'm not sure it's good necessarily, you know, Um, but it is kind of going somewhere somewhere else than where I thought it was going. There are some kind of twists and turns there. I don't know. It does get funnier. As this kind of series goes by, they, they do have some some more uh, refining the jokes a little bit better. So I think that I think there's there's a lot to like in season one of upload. I'm looking forward to season two. It does end on a really huge cliffhanger, like in the uh-huh. last episode. In fact, in the last like five minutes of the of the last episode, it's like, you know, and now we're loading at all the stuff we're gonna deal with next season, and I'm like, <laughs> Oh, you motherfuckers you know. Like, uh, so um, it is. It is definitely worth a watch, particularly if you uh, enjoy shows or uh, movies like *Defending Your Life*, and you're kind of interested in uh, kind of Greg Daniels' other work. And kind of a you know, I, I am a you know, kind of lifelong fan of Greg Daniels. I think he's a really interesting kind of guy, a really interesting producer, kind of doing some interesting work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, *King of the Hill*. Parks and Recreation, The Office, um, the U.S. version of The Office. These are all like uh, properties that I have uh, off and on, but uh, I have issues with. But like that, kind of speak to they, they kind of have interesting things going on, and I think Upload kind of fits into that world pretty well. So uh, I would definitely recommend it if you kind of like those kinds of properties.
0: Was Daniels involved in uh, Idiocracy? Wasn't that a Mike Judge? Thing? That was
3: Mike Judge, but George uh, but Greg Daniels was not, to my knowledge, okay. he was not. With that. No, that was, I was, you know, and you really can kind of track the Mike Judge versus Greg Daniels thing. Like, mm. the thing is, like, King of the Hill was sort of like Mike Judge's baby. And then Greg Daniels kind of comes in and gives it its, like, sort of like homespun charm in a way. Yeah. And my favorite bits of King of the Hill is when there's an episode when Hank runs into, well, that's the world renowned building inspector. <laughs> that's so and so, who's like the king of the building inspectors in this area. And so, like, if you get inspected by him, he's going to find any problems with your thing. This kind of, the minutiae of, like, small government and the minutia of, like, you know, this kind of, like, small mm-hmm. town. And um, I kind of love that aspect of it. And a lot of that gets transferred over into, like, Parks and Recreation, you know, in kind of a, I don't know, that show is really, really problematic and complicated. But a lot of the stuff that's great about that show is sort of recognizing that same element. And you get a little bit of that in Upload, although it's not, it's more like, he's kind of moved on to kind of thinking about the tech industry and sort of like the way the tech industry interacts with sort of normal human interaction. I don't think the first season of upload is like a masterpiece or anything. I think it's interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing where it's going to go because also the first season of like Parks and Rec was kind of a mess. I mean, it took it a while, but I feel the like upload has that same competition.
0: Kind of I've got a couple things to mention. First off, uh, Lonely are the brave from 1962. And uh, this is a Kirk Douglas uh, film. Mm-hmm. And he sort of plays a um, cowboy out of time kind of thing. Like he, th- this is probably a libertarian's wet dream movie in a, in a way, where where he's just just sort of a drifting cowboy type who does whatever the fuck he wants. He gets odd jobs and shit like that. He get he gets involved with like trying to break his best friend out of jail, and his best friend is like, "Well, I've got a wife and family now. I need to finish my jail sentence because it's you know it's almost done." And I'll be fine. And so Kirk Douglas is like, well, fuck. I'm still breaking out of jail. So he breaks out and now he's being pursued by the cops. So he goes up into the mountains. He's going to try to cross over in the border to Mexico. So there's a team of uh, police chasing him. Uh, Walter Matthau is the sort of put-upon sheriff who is like, oh, fuck, I have to catch this guy. Because he, he's he's the sort, of, sort of guy he, he sides with the rebel. Like, he sides with the... the you kind
3: of have me at Walter Matthau in a Western, honestly. <laughs>
0: yeah, it, it's a modern Western, but it's like modern... Walter Matthau's like he sides with the rebel. It's it's kind of funny. At one point, he has a scene where he sits at his desk and he looks out his window and he sees a dog pissing on a fire hydrant. And he's he's cheering for the dog. Yeah, you you do you 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 piss on that fire hydrant. That's great. And, and and it kind of moves on towards Kirk Douglas trying to escape. He's rooting for Kirk Douglas to escape. George Kennedy's in this as a abusive uh, fucking cop who beats Kirk Douglas in jail and then is pursuing him in in this manhunt. And it's also got Carol O'Connor in it as a truck driver, which uh, plays into the end of the film. You don't exactly know what's going on until later on when he shows up again as this sort of truck driver. It's a very good modern take on the revisionist Western. It is a bit of a message movie that's sort of heavy-handed. It's like, you know, the old ways of the cowboy... Uh, brushing up against the modern world and the modern world's going to kill you. It's very much like the train in Once Upon a Time in, in right, the West. In the West yeah. You know, it, it's very much that same kind of idea. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. The performances are great. Kirk Douglas is awesome in this. Uh, he goes to a bar and he gets in a fight with a one-armed man. <laughs> the the one-armed man picks the fight with him.
3: <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. This sounds. This sounds really interesting.
0: You know. I. Uh, you know.
3: I love. I love modern western. in Nineteen sixty-two. It's like set, you know, in something like a present day. It's a
0: and the movie. and the and the guy who plays the one-armed man, he's the one-armed man from the fugitive TV show too. So kind nice. Of can, Actually, yeah, you know, can,
3: I was just thinking that we should definitely do the Harrison Ford the fugitive at some point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Next one I'll mention, this is an Australian one from 1978. It's uh, The Money Movers, or Money Money Movers, there's no the on it. It's got Brian Brown in it in an early role from, uh, you know, Cocktail Fame. Sure. You know, yeah. This is about drivers in an armored car business, you know, and, of course, an armored car business, their main facility will have tons of money sitting in it, you know, that they drive around and shit. And it's about the employee, a couple of employees of this armored car facility, deciding to knock it off and, like, steal a bunch of money. And uh, it's a really good sort of heist movie crime caper. It's also a bloody exploitation film from Australia at the same time. Uh, nice. A lot of sh- shocking moments in it. It's going to go my best of list this year. Yeah,
3: no, no I, I, I want to see that for sure.
0: It's, it's very, very well done. And the last one I'll mention, um, I revisited uh, Ichi the Killer from t- 2001. Um, <laughs> nice yeah how how does that hold up how does that hold up i think it holds up i don't think it's necessarily a good movie on its own like it's more of an experience than it is like a narrative because at its core it's kind of a standard yakuza crime film that's not all that great but it but, but visually and stylistically and it's almost like a weirdo fucking horror movie version of a yakuza movie And like I think it works as an experience and I enjoyed watching it, but it's like the story's just kinda boring. But it is it is one of those movies where it's like, look at all the weird fucked up shit we can do and show you. And yeah. For the most part it kinda holds up on that level. Like it's still kinda shocking and it's still kinda gross. I don't think I enjoyed it as much as when I watched it like years ago. (laughs) But
3: I'll admit uh, that's one that I watched um, you know, um in 04 or whatever, uh-huh. and just didn't really get like just didn't you know and, it, does, it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of right, sense. I mean, there's just kind of not really being as familiar with Mika's uh, kind of aesthetic mm-hmm. and filmography. You know, audition I get better. You know, obviously, um, you know, I, I don't know. Like it's a it's a kind of a weird thing. Uh, maybe I should revisit it, but also I'm kind of like yeah, I'm kind of done. <laughs> I don't, I don't need to see it again. Like
0: I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say anyone needs to see it. And and Mike is a really weird director to nail down yeah. because he's done so many different things. If if you actually look at his credits, he's probably one of the most prolific, if not the most prolific directors in the world. Like yeah, he, sure. he, he's done that much shit and there's a lot of stuff that he's done that's way different than what you're used to knowing him for, yeah. you know, so yeah, but that's it <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're going to take a quick break we're going to play a little bit of music uh, some podcast promos, and we're going to come back and talk about Strange Days you ungodly warlock hello and welcome to Hello This is the Doom Show I'm Richard and I hate the burning Sheesh. who are you? Speak
3: <laughs> and I'm Brad. She came in and said, bark, 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 and he said,
0: bark, 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 and she said, mark. that's what I got. One is the Susperia boner. The other is the Inferno boner. <laughs> which, anyway.
2: which one is crying? <laughs> <laughs> the boner of tears.
1: <laughs> Hello, This is the Doomed Show is available on Hello, doomedshow.dot.potomatic.dot.com and DoomedMovieThon.com Hello,
0: hello. This is the Doomed Show. Richard Brad, Jeffrey Nava. It's the Doom Show. Hello, hello. This is the Doom Show. Slashers, G.I. Low,
1: and horror. It's the Show. You ungodly warlock!
2: I can hardly wait
0: strange days from 1995
2: have you ever jacked in
3: have you ever wired tripped you ready
1: (laughs) this is not like tv only better this is life it's a piece of somebody's life
2: it's about the stuff that you can't have, right? The forbidden fruit,
3: straight from the cerebral cortex. I mean, you're there, you're
2: doing it, you're feeling it. Are you beginning to see
1: the possibilities here? I am your main connection to the switchboard of souls. I'm the magic man. If this has something to do with the water, sooner or later it washes up on your beach.
3: Fan mail from some flounder?
1: the dark end of the street how do you like it now he records it all everything and gives it to you why me there's more to this whole thing than you think give us the tape right now (laughs) you don't know how high up the food chain this thing goes you know what this tape could do if it got out i see the world opening up and swallowing us all this is conspiracy paranoia the issue isn't whether you're paranoid lenny the issue is whether you're paranoid enough no more games whatever's going on you have to get out of here now get him out this tape is a lightning bolt from god it can change things things that need changing before we all go off the end of the road it'll be an all-out war and you know it no well maybe it's time for a war Man, cheer up. World's gonna end in 10 minutes anyway.
0: By Catherine Bigelow, written by James Cameron and Jay Cox. And I believe this is actually uh based on like kind of a outline that James Cameron wrote back in the 80s. I think he kind of pitched this to Catherine Bigelow when they were still married, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't
3: Bigelow have some uh input on the script as well? I mean, you know, we all know that WGA rules are kind of bullshit, but it did feel like that Bigelow was uh at least the kind of reading about the production process. I mean, clearly this was a development for like a decade, <laughs> you Yeah, know? So, you know, cool. She had some input on the script. So I think um, we, should, yeah, I, history, we should throw her name in there as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. True. Cause like if anything, her kind of stylistic choices and stuff are definitely in this film. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's starring Ralph Fiennes as Lenny Nero, Angela Bissett as Lornet uh, Lornette Mace, Mason, Juliette Lewis. Um, kind of at her peak here as Faith Justin. I'm not just saying as attractiveness, I'm saying like kind of, this is kind of the period where Juliette Lewis is like the female actress for a while. Yeah, you know, this it's is,
3: like This is the year after Natural Born Killers. And, you know, yeah. it's not that that's like not that that's like her artistic peak in a lot of ways. Not yeah, that's what like. it's saying. Yeah. She was really kind of like working with kind of big name stuff, doing really interesting material, uh, for sure. And we got
0: uh, Tom Sizemore as Max Peltier, also
3: um, from Natural Brain Killers.
0: <laughs> yeah, and also kind of at maybe around his sort of artistic yeah, peak yeah. before drugs sort of tore him down. There were a lot of
3: people. There are a lot of people who kind of in that mid '90s, kind of post Tarantino like yeah. kind of moment, kind of really like found their moment and then like declined.
0: Yeah. Uh, we got uh, Vincent D'Onofrio as uh, Burton Steckler, uh, Michael Wincott as uh, Philo Grant or Gant. I mean Gant. Gant. Uh, Bridget Baco as Iris, who actually I kind of know from other stuff. She's I oh, believe she's just... Canadian. Canadian actress. Uh, she we'll did have to some... we talk about that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, William Fitchner as Dwayne Engelman. As the uh, other cop. Yeah. Yeah, the other Nazi That's cop. <laughs> uh, Glenn Plummer as Jericho One. Uh, Richard Edson as Tick. Joseph Summer as Palmer Strickland, and uh, Louise Le Cavalier as Cindy Vida Minth. And we have synopsis here from IMDB from someone called uh, Harold Meyer, uh, set in the year 1999 during the last days of the old millennium. The movie tells the story of Lenny Nero, an ex-cop who now deals with data discs containing recorded memories and emotions. One day, he receives a disc which contains the memories of a murderer killing a prostitute. Lenny investigates and is pulled deeper and deeper in a whirl of blackmail, murder, and rape. Will he survive and solve the case? Well, yeah, that's half of the film. That's, maybe that's
3: that's maybe. the really kiddie version on the back of the video
0: box, basically. But, yeah, that's, that's pretty. That's pretty much it. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So, uh, when did you first watch this, Dan? And uh, what's your sort of general thoughts on this one? I. Uh, for a long time, this
3: has this was one of those like favorite films of mine. Like I mm. saw this, I didn't see this theatrically. This came out when I was like fifteen or so.
2: Yeah,
3: um, I saw it on pay per view uh, back when pay per view was the thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we recorded it from pay per view as we would normally do as a family. But I remember seeing the ads for it. I saw like um, E back before E was all about the Kardashians. It used to be about movies and TV. Yeah. So. And they used to do the the coming attractions show, which had like yep. when play trailers, and I used to go to YouTube for that. They aired. I remember seeing the the trailer for mm-hmm. Strange Days, which hypothetically will be in this podcast, like the at least the audio version of. It Indeed, be. it will. Yes. Um, so uh, the, the you know it's and it's all like Lenny Nero doing the I'm the Magic Man the speech that he does kind of in the midst of the film, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it just sounded like oh God, like this is this is like a like I, can't, this this is like I can't wait to see this. As soon as the available on pay per view, I like was like demanding from my parents, like I need to see this movie. And so we did the three ninety nine rental, and I saw it and I watched it countless times. Was, like, <laughs> this is one of those um, for a lot of for a lot of really interesting reasons. This is one of those films that sort of like made me a movie fan in a weird mm-hmm. way. You know, it's kind of one of those that it's kind of difficult to even like understand how to get enough distance from it to judge it. For its own merits because right. it's so much part of my thing like this is a movie that i've been like pitching to you to do for the show since yeah. we started doing this podcast and lee will tell you how many times i've said we should do strange days sometimes
0: <laughs> it feels like this is your big lebowski
3: yeah in a lot of ways yeah sure no right. i mean it is it is kind of one of those one of those kind of big movies for me probably not as much as pulp fiction because pulp fiction was the, one of those that just rewired my brain and i didn't see mm. that until i was like 18 so like several years later but this was kind of one that kind of set me on that path, right? And I've always admired it. And rewatching it, I admire it less for its—I mean, the technical construction on the kind of the direction level and the sort of like performance level is great. I admired it for its uh, for the writing, honestly, and for mm-hmm. like, how sophisticated the. <laughs> it turns out there are two plots happening at the same time, and you don't necessarily realize that until you start to kind of like dissect it and kind of pull the pull the script apart. Um and it was only like rewatching it last week where I'm like oh no this is actually big sleep level clever in a lot of ways um in terms of the way it's constructed which again comes down to you know they spent ten years working on it which yeah in short I really I really love this movie I mean I think it has its issues we can talk about them you know it's very 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 mid 90s in a way that like it's kind of hard to like imagine Yeah, you know and, and and it also has kind of political issues which we can kind of we will definitely talk about it as yeah as but um, just as a cinematic experience it's kind of hard for me to understate or overstate just how uh, much i just adore this and i could rewatch it i rewatched it like three times in preparation for this episode and enjoyed it every time so you know
0: this is one I've often rented on VHS. I don't think I ever re-rented it on DVD. I, I got to a period where I would just start watching other movies and stuff, and it kind of disappeared from my sort of quota, I guess. Uh, you know. I think I've talked about before on this podcast where I rented uh, The Big Lebowski so many times that I actually wore out the tape. And <laughs> and had to take back a broken tape to the fucking rental place. Like I'm sorry, and there, and the girl was very nice and was like, "Oh no, I'll just put a piece of tape on it, and that's fine." Um, <laughs> right. Yeah.
3: I rented it next, broke it, and then you know, like they got charged the fee. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> I was it's a very really
3: narrow thing to do, honestly.
0: <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. I was a good customer. They treated me good, so you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah,
3: you were you were the wirehead in that scenario.
0: I kind of was, yeah. Oh god, I hope
3: people watch this movie before they listen to this because I'm gonna just geek out over this.
0: <laughs> so yeah, this is definitely one of the most 1990s films ever made. Um, yeah. But it doesn't suffer from that moniker. I don't feel like I no, feel like no. this. I feel like out of all the films we can kind of think of, like Hackers, Johnny Mnemonic, uh, other films that are like definitely 90s like crow um maybe not dark city i think dark city holds up but this is this is one of those 90s films that actually is a 90s film but seriously holds up to this day that it still works um it has this like industrial
3: goth club that you walk into and like this is the hottest club in town yeah when like brings like the japanese businessman into this club right it's supposed to be like this man's gonna have a good time at the like goth industrial night with girls in cages with like electrical tape over their nipples and Juliet Lewis singing the PJ Harvey songs. Yeah, on yeah. Stage, you know, like it's very much like this is so very a 1995 vision of a dystopian future, right? You know.
0: I think I think the best thing about it though is that the depiction of the future doesn't feel too far off. It's it's, it's like it's not concerned with giving us a ton of future tech or anything like that. Like, honestly, the only real tech is the central conceit of the thing with the, uh, with the discs and the memories. Yeah, we'll, and shit. we'll
3: definitely talk about that here in a second. You know, but, yeah, but, I, I mean, it's basically set present day, but we have this like new technology, which is <laughs> the thing when like you're making a movie in 1995 and setting it in 1999 because you're using the year 2000 as your like kind of thematic resonance. Right. right? Whereas I feel like if they had made it in 1985 or 1987 or whenever they kind of started producing it, they would have definitely kind of added more like kind of weird tech stuff, which would only kind of alienate the viewer ultimately.
0: Yeah, because you you don't get like future guns and you don't get like camera drones and stuff flying around. The most you get is actually like point of view depictions of this tech in, in, in process. And it's kind of like uh, OnlyFans POV, basically, is what it is. <laughs>
3: well, we should talk about we should talk about the the, the premise a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. and that you know, you're an old school horror fan, like you you've been a horror fan all your life. Um, yep. I'm a old school sci fi person, and. I'm one of those like old school, like I've read, I grew up on sort of like sci fi from the 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. I grew up pretty Isaac Asimov and shit, you know? Yeah. Um, that's, my, that's my origin story with this stuff. And, um, you know, when you look at kind of that old school kind of hard sci fi stuff, um, science fiction, SF, as, uh, you know, Isaac Asimov would uh, rolling in his grave, um, thinking <laughs> of underage women. Uh... <laughs> less said <laughs> the, the better, problem, better like, about that 40s. right now. Yeah, no. We, we, if we ever we do an Isaac Asimov,
0: you know, it's fine. We can talk about. Let's that. Let's just before. talk about Arthur C. Clarke. It's a lot less problematic. <laughs>
3: well, there are allegations he was abusing children in Sri Lanka. Although, like, don't that, tell me that. Oh that gosh. seems to be probably mostly bullshit. But there are allegations. Anyway, Asimov was probably not actually doing underage women, but he definitely was handsy. He was. He would have been me too,
0: by the current standard. Right. Right.
3: Um, and that's kind of the thing when there are allegations like Piers Anthony, who would literally wrote short stories about underage girls getting like rape fucked and enjoying it, uh, um, thought Isaac Asimov was a little bit problematic at conventions. And that's, that's just Jesus the clearest sign of <laughs> like, you know, oh. you know. So anyway, I grew up reading uh, as you as you have now uh, learned this is this is my kind of secret nerd history which isn't very secret but like I was reading this stuff when I was 12 years old. The the big thing that uh, you know kind of uh, early sci-fi writers would do is they'd say every story is kind of got a what if. There's a there's a sort of we're going to do what if this thing exists and then kind of work out the details and sort of like build a story around that what if. And so right. many like sci-fi novels really don't really do that these days. It's just kind of playing with genre and kind of doing that thing, which is fine. I'm not I'm not arguing that. Strange Days is very much a imagine if this technology, this squid technology, this sort of like being able to record people, uh, record people's experiences and then kind of play it back and then it kind of develops a black market imagine this thing exists what's the implication kind of what story can we build around that and this is like the purest kind of sci-fi story in that sense it's a very very effective use of we're exploring the implications of what it would be like if this technology existed both through kind of a narrative sense of the storyline doesn't happen if this technology doesn't exist like if you just have like wire recordings i not give you just had like if it was just like kind of like a, was a blowout but uh <laughs> you know like yeah. sort of set during this time period it doesn't have the same effect but also um uh cinematically you know Bigelow uses this kind of idea of the technology to build entirely new ways of developing these kinds of sequences which then kind of like have played into uh kind of modern uh, cinema in a lot of ways I mean you know they, they spent like months working through uh, some of these like kind of wirehead sequences of like first person shooting um, really super innovative stuff that still plays. I mean, all these sequences still work, even though you kind of see the seams a little more than maybe you could in 1995 when it was new. Eh,
0: I I don't even know if I'd say that. Honestly, like I, I think sticking this firmly in like a noir, yeah, 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 kind of just boosts it up and makes it better because it's really the domain of Noir where it's just this technology would be on the fringes, it would be sleazy because I mean, even in the movie they say it's outlawed, so it yeah, would yeah. be on the black market, and that's what we're dealing with here, and you have you have the the main character, Lenny, who you know is the put upon protagonist who's stuck in a rut and is getting beat up by everybody and shit. Like, it's classic fucking noir. Yeah, like, yeah. Straight, straight, straight ahead.
3: And, he, and, and he's a drug addict. I mean, it's sort of... The, yeah. This is a very, like, kind of sci-fi of the 90s sort of thing of, like, you know, you right. present the new bit of technology as essentially a metaphor for drug addiction. Yeah. Which gets into some weirdly problematic territory when you kind of look at that sociologically. But it mm. works in this film because it's really about these characters, and it's about Lenny Nero... Who uh Ray Fines, who you know, he was later cast as like he went on to do like the English patient and then like he's cast as Voldemort and shit. And I'm like, No, you need to fucking watch Strange Days.
0: Yeah, think. he's you great. He's, he's so amazing
3: great. here. He's amazing here. I think um really all the performances are amazing. But Ray Fines oh, yeah. this is this is my Ray Um, you know. Same. Um, but he's, he's, he's a, he's our protagonist and he's someone that we identify with, but he's also someone who's uh, presented as this kind of pathetic figure. Um, the other thing that I watched this week, or I watched a little bit of this week was, uh, the first like 30 minutes or so of minority report. Cause it was mm-hmm. on, and So I, you know, you throw it on, you watch a little bit of it before you get to bed. Oh, I have one more beer. I got You know, whatever. And that's a film that's like about you know, kind of Tom Cruise's characters mm-hmm. watching mm-hmm. old clips of his son and his wife. And, you know, sort of having this, like, kind of big, you know, $200 million, not, at that time it wasn't $200 million, but it was a huge budget sci-fi, you know, film that's kind of about this guy who's kind of caught in his past. And because I had just recently rewatched Strange Days, I was just kind of like, this is fucking bullshit, because, (laughs) you know, this is not, like, like, Tom Cruise is not, like sitting and kind of he doesn't he doesn't sell it in the same way the film doesn't sell it in the same way it doesn't sell it as like this it's the act of this like kind of pathetic individual because it's Spielberg and Tom Cruise suddenly it's oh yeah I'm gonna be your kind of heroic protagonist action yeah and so it just like shuts the film down but here the whole like process of the film is to kind of show you how Lenny Nero comes to sort of leave that bit some nostalgia behind you know Uh, interestingly sorry I know I know I'm talking a lot. Interestingly, what I find rewatching it now in 2020 is that while the film doesn't speak to the kind of experience of the year 2000, it speaks really well to the experience of the year 2020 in terms of the yeah. way we relate to technology. And the way that kind of nostalgia works and the way that we sort of can kind of look back at our own like online histories and sort of wallow in that. And, you know, in the way that we all do kind of like live in this sort of like a space in this kind of weird way, while at the same time being like very up to the second in terms of kind of like following our social media and all that sort of thing. We can kind of look back at, oh, let's look back at our old Facebook photos. And I mean, hell, I was doing it today. I had an occasion to just kind of look back at, you know, some of my old Facebook stuff and going like, oh, man, I did that 10 years ago. And just looking at some photos and just kind of like suddenly being back in that moment, and back in that headspace. And I can imagine kind of going through an emotional trauma and suddenly being like, well, this is my my comfort zone. And not only do I have like, it's not like I have a box of photos or whatever, Mm -hmm. but I have like a full record of my interactions with this person who left my life. And I can go back and relive that almost in real time if I chose to do that. And the film, in, in the film, that's a, you know, like I have a literal like, record of my like nerve ending impressions and I can like refeed the exact process mm-hmm. of my brain into my thing. But I think there is a parallel there, you know, and, and I think that it is it's yeah. prophetic in that, in that kind of weird way.
0: This movie is all about being stuck in the past. The, the central conceit of the technology is all about past guilt, past emotions, past failures. Um, and I mean that that's the big sort of change for Lenny Nero, where he is so stuck with being in love with Julia Lewis's character for most of the film faith, yeah faith, where he can't look past you know that and actually look forward to a future, which is the future is you know Angela Bessette fucking your brains out. <laughs> which is which is a great future, which is
3: you know uh, very very wonderful. Yes,
0: no, yeah. But I mean, you you can you can emphasize with uh, Nero, you know, like and and like he's presented as you know a former cop who is disgraced and unfairly disgraced. You, you kind of learn that. Oh, we're uh, gonna get, to get spend, into that. We're gonna get yeah. Up. You, you kind of learn he was you know railroaded and shit. But um, you know he he spent like the last few years just being this underworld scumbag and Fine's performance as just this scummy ass noir character is yeah. fucking note perfect like I was just watching this like oh man this is this is just like nineteen fifties noir. Like it's, it's so yeah. good. It's it's like well, that I mean, solid
3: sci fi history also intersects with sort of noir in that mm-hmm. same way. Sorry, not to get like super geeky in terms of like the thing. That like, no, no, like do it. Um, uh, Alfred Bester, who was one of those uh, you know kind of old school and kind of classic sci fi writers in the uh, in the uh, early to mid forties. Mm-hmm. He kind of went on he had a long kind of longer career, but he wrote two books. And in particular, um, the Demolished Man is sort of seen as kind of an early prototypical cyber punk novel although it like predates cyberpunk by like decades yeah Um, but but um this movie has kind of very similar um you know kind of overall it it
0: is very cyberpunk in a way this movie is yeah in fact i i do have i do
3: have a quote from a close personal friend of mine robert evans you may know from the behind the bastards Mm -hmm. and uh, formerly of crack.com and whom i have a regular chat thing with because we both track internet Nazis and so of course I'm (laughs) Um, (laughs) I told him we were doing this episode and he says man I miss cyberpunk being movies and not daily life
0: (laughs) (laughs) and <laughs> He's so sadly true on that, yeah. Oh and, I, and I and I um, and I
3: and I and I said, "Can I please share that on this episode?" And went, "Yeah, sure, you're sure, go ahead."
0: Yeah, yeah, no, you're you're totally right, Robert.
3: Well, and the, and the reality is, the reality is that you know when you look at uh, William Gibson um, mm-hmm. at a certain point in the late uh, William Gibson, who sorry for the audience, uh, who uh, wrote Neuromancer, who sort of coined the term cyberpunk, who sort of created the whole genre, in uh, 1984. Are uh, in the early '80s. Um, you can kind of see some of his early short stories, or you know, yeah, that same thing. But um, you know, arguably, Neuromancer is kind of the first real official cyberpunk work. Um, he sort of went away from that in the late '90s and early 2000s, and now he writes things that are sort of like near future or you know, contemporaneous, uh, sort of like sideways histories, um, because mm-hmm. he's interested in the same kinds of, kinds of concepts. But essentially, like the world caught up with like his vision of it. It's interested in the technology and more about sort of the sociology behind it. And I think that's what's interesting about like the really great cyberpunk stuff. like Strange Days because it's not really interesting like how the technology works. It's interesting like how people are going to interact with it. Right. I think that that's kind of the key here. And then like there's an entire other movie. We've spent like this long talking about just sort of this kind of basic premise, which is very well explored. But there's also like two murder mysteries and like a whole host of personalities and like a love story that actually works actually two love stories that actually work <laughs> in this movie gets yeah. astonishingly rich for a movie of this kind, you know, plus it's got a bunch of boobs in it. So, you know,
0: like, uh, it's got Juliette Lewis looking fucking fine. Yeah. Like it, yeah, yeah. Um, can't, can't fucking can't dismiss that at all. Like, yeah, that that's an attraction in this film. Uh, but I mean, at the same time, her performance and you know, her hanging out with this fucking uh, sort of like Sven sort of rock producer, follow, follow Gant. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And you know, you can tell she doesn't really love him, but she kind of sides with him because that's where her career is going and shit like that. And well, and getting
3: away from from Lenny, which I feel like you mm-hmm. know, like she and Lenny are done. You know, was... I mean,
0: it's 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 healthy that she left Lenny. Like, it, it's presented in the film a bit that, you know, you, you kind of feel like you're, you're just kind of trying to side with Lenny. And it, it feels like, oh, she's wrong for leaving Lenny. But at the same time, no, she's not really wrong for leaving Lenny because the way he was, it's like, she's he's going to hold you down. Like, it's actually the, the events that, in this movie, that make Lenny a better person. But by that time, that relationship's over with. Like it, you know,
3: Well, so and the film... I think that the thing is that, like Lenny puts her up in the best. He puts her up in this place of like my super hot girlfriend whom I adore who I will walk over broken glass for. So he
0: looks uh, 20 years younger than me which is kind of problematic in a lot of ways
3: at least 15 I don't know I haven't looked I didn't look at the, uh, the birth dates for these two people but you know like it's...
0: I, just gotta, I just gotta cut in I'm fi- when I think of Juliette Lewis I think of how she was presented in Cape Fear yeah. where you know she's the yeah. underage girl who Robert De Niro kind of you know <laughs> uh, tries to seduce and shit and, and th- I can't help but think about that image of her being transposed in this film to a certain degree and it's 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 a little, it's like, okay, Ralph finds you need to step off. You need to step off. She's too young <laughs> <Right>. for
3: you. <laughs> well, well I, I don't even process, I mean, I, I don't know if you've had this experience. I think, uh, you know, I I did have a brief experience with, like, I was uh, kind of sort of dating someone who was uh, younger than me, not to the same degree. I mean, we're not talking like a, like a 15-year difference or whatever, but right. know, a little bit younger than me who was like kind of the really hot, volatile, you know, kind of fiery redhead type who was great while it lasted and then like it all kind of crashed and burned. Mm-hmm. And for which I kinda of held a flame for a while, you know, and to which I had that kind of like weird, complicated history. And I did this decades after watching this film, for what it's worth, you know. <laughs> like, you know
0: I um, have I have several redheaded flames I could fucking yeah, regale yeah. you with. <laughs> yeah,
3: anyway. We, we don't need to do that. We don't need to no, do that on here. not you know? at all. But, um, you know, and in and, and ways that, you know, like, we're, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't want to say this is a universal experience. and I don't want to say that this is, like, you know, that that isn't problematic that I sort of ran into that or that, you know, whatever. But, like, there is a very real kind of human element to this of, like, yeah. look, they dated. They had fun. She clearly, from the clips that we see of their life from the kind of relationship and even sort of the residual feelings that she has yeah for that relationship and i i know people who have you know who have these kinds of people in their lives who say you know like yeah that was problematic but i still kind of want to try to be friends or try to maintain some kind of relationship or whatever yeah. this is a very like realistic portrait again of what feels like a very 21st century kind of 2020 kind of you know where kind of surviving the wreckage of this thing you know and so i totally buy lenny nero as like a you know kind of a doofy dude who ran into a girl who was way too hot for him who you know dealt with the fire while it lasted and then like once it ended it ended and he just kind of couldn't Necessarily get over it, and so he has this box of clips that he kind of sits and enjoys, but he's kind of stuck in his past. At least that's him at the kind of beginning of the movie,
0: right? Yeah, no, it's it's presented very realistically. Um, I mean, you, you get you really do get that sense of the relationship with the clips that that's what happened. You know, the fun, sexy younger girl that you're in a you know you're dating and shit, and then it ends because you know she's not quite as grown up, well, I didn't even want to say that. She's not, I mean, I, I wanted to say, like, she's not quite as grown up as you, but that's not really the case. It's just she has different goals in her life, and she, she's, your, your
3: lives diverge.
0: And yeah, your lives yeah. diverge, okay. and it's it's presented very realistically. At the same time, you can still see that she cares for him, to a certain degree. Like, like you know, she's telling Gant, "Don't let your thugs beat him up and shit. Like just, just leave him alone. It's fine. You know that kind of shit. She's not a bad person. Um, she, you know, well, she's she kind of well. She kind of is. Uh... It, well, yeah, but I mean, you know, not." She's but not, not for that reason, yeah. She's, like, she's not know. fucking like outright evil or anything like that, you know? I, she feel, just... I feel
3: like she's the biggest cypher, and that's kind of like rewatching it. That's kind of one of my, my biggest, like at least in terms of what sort of the mechanics. They
0: like, they don't do her a lot is, of justice.
3: She is what she needs to be for the plot to work. In yeah, movie. yeah,
0: that's
3: yeah. true. And um, I feel like that's, uh, you know, it's a shame that this is like a female director kind of doing this because. That is kind of the role that women in films just sort of have to play is like, you know, okay, and now you're with this guy and now you feel bad about this and now you are going to fight the other guy or kind of whatever. And, you know, just to sort of like justify sort of the the male protagonist. And um, yeah, I think and... the film gives her enough space that we get a sense of how she feels about things. Mm-hmm. But I definitely, at least in terms of, certainly in like the last 20 or 30 minutes, I think she goes through some, a couple of like kind of heel turn moments where you know to, to sort of serve the plot as opposed to things that really feel organic to to the character
0: right right i i think more of the attention actually goes to angela Bissett and it kind of like yeah. leaves juliette lewis
3: yeah she she becomes like kind of the co-lead um about halfway through for sure
0: you know it almost feels like like catherine bigelow had maybe some oversight on her like i don't know like you got to, you got, oh. you got to focus on one like female protagonist and kind of well, like,
3: and it's, and it's like an impossible writing task. I mean, I've already kind of, yeah. we haven't really talked too much about the details of the plot. I hope we can kind of talk about the, the sort of the way that the, I didn't diagram this cause I didn't have the time to sort of sit down and kind of design it the way I did. when we did the mm-hmm. But I think it's got some really interesting stuff kind of going on like plot wise. And I hope we can kind of delve into that. Um, and, uh, I want to try to avoid spoilers until we kind of, yeah. there. but there is this sense in which I think trying to do this movie and trying to, you're kind of set with kind of this impossible task of at a certain point you're you've got to kind of do this switch and you've got to kind of do this kind of moment. And uh, there's just so much stuff going on that like somebody kind of gets the shit end of the stick on this. And I think it was Juliet Lewis who gets that, but at the same yeah, time, man. like she gets uh, the cameras in love with her you know like like. oh my she, god
0: like uh, like my my name in this hangout <laughs> is just want to be juliette lewis's dress like i mean come on like right. she is barely wearing clothes when she is wearing clothes like it's right just, and she
3: know. is not wearing clothes on a, on a few occasions um, yeah you yeah, know um it's amazing i was i was reading some kind of a, like other stuff where they were talking about like you know like <laughs> 90s sex scenes went hard like 90s nudity was a thing you know you know we don't really necessarily think of like the 90s as like this like kind of classic era for nudity but like you watch this movie and like you know it there's some great stuff here i mean it
0: it fills the quota let's put it that way
3: Um, there's some really uncomfortable stuff in this. Like there's a, a, God, you know, I mean, there's a, I mean, I guess there is a rape scene. I mean, there are technically two rape scenes in this, you know, one of them is more of a
0: BDSM. Well, it It turns out to be a BDSM. Yeah. uh, Which again, we'll kind of get to, but it's presented Um, as a rape scene as, as uh, a Nero watches it. But
3: one of them is definitely a rape scene. And this is kind of one where like, it turns out that the person wearing, the deck, the person wearing the... is like feeding the impulse from his own headset into the rape victim.
0: Which is fucked up beyond belief. That right. is yeah, fucking yeah. gross. But also, but also, like, why
3: is there not a huge community of, like, internet fetishists that have uh, taken advantage? And why have I not been exposed to? That? Oh,
0: I'm sure it's there somewhere, man. Like... Well, um... <laughs>
3: Yeah, we should not
0: uh you know if I you have really
3: mean... an episode then you'll understand that I have like certain proclivities of, of my own. Yeah.
0: I, and... I, I, I will say like the the idea of like having this deck on your head that, you know, people can feel your emotions and shit, like it's it's slightly different in the series I'm thinking about, but there is like the soft core porn series called the click. Mm-hmm. Where where it revolves around like having like a device on your head, um that uh, you know you're having sex with someone, and uh, another person can like have a device on their head and feel those emotions, and right, uh, right. like directly ripped off from this. Uh, so,
3: right, right, but this is about like sort of, sort of that like sort of line of um, you know kind of consent and non-consent, and
0: you know, a, one I one mean, one. yeah, the, the same issues are in the softcore series. Like, it, it's it the, there is a consent issue where it's like. <laughs> Oh no! Some outsider that you don't know about is like feeling what you're feeling while you're having sex. That's
2: pretty
3: much rape. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, yeah we're we're gonna we're gonna leave this behind. But like, there's some really kind of complicated stuff. And uh, yeah. Again, this film uh, had a lot to say to me at fifteen. <laughs> I was gonna there. I
0: mean, actually, I, I love that this film brings that shit up and like yeah. puts that well, stuff in your head to think about. Like,
3: it's hard to say. Like, I. Uh, like you and i have talked a lot about rape in films like you mm. know, the, so the films that we do a lot of the like 70s films and a lot of that kind of stuff like rape is just kind of part of the you know right. it's like there's a woman in the film she's in danger she's raped, done yeah and there's a lot of kind of conversation in today in 2020 which is basically like you should just never do rape in a movie because we've seen it over and over and over again like it's just it's overdone there's no way to do it well et cetera. Et cetera. and i broadly agree with that it's like yeah just don't just just you're gonna do it badly i would submit that uh strange days might be a film that actually manages to do it well despite the fact mm-hmm. that it shouldn't be done you know i could be argued out of that position i don't hold to it strongly but i think i think the case can be made that this is sort of one of those situations where because it's about sort of like this sort of Male gazy because it's about this sort of pornography industry, because it's about like sort of like forcing people to understand the consequences of the material that they absorb, and because it's, it's you know, it is rough and it is harsh, and it is something like this does not look like a fun time, you know, and, no, but but it's also not kind of wallowed in in the sense of you know, it's not like you like he you know, slices her throat open or something like that. Right, right. So he, he, you know, he rapes her and kills her, so sort of think there is a sort of like grounded realism. And I, and I think that despite the fact that Bigelow is a filmmaker who's known for going for the edge and for going for the sort of like the, the, the kind of the dark version of stuff and going for this kind of grounded realism or hyper realism, I think there is a case to be made that like she actually did this in sort of a responsible way. And yeah, um, yeah. Man, I would love to uh, kind of get comments of people saying like, no, fuck you. You are completely wrong <laughs> this. I mean, I could be convinced out of this position, but I think if you're going to do it, she did it about as well as it could be done.
0: Yeah. No, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you. Like, I mean, as classy as you can do rape, I, you know, quote unquote, classy. Well, um, if you're
3: going to decide to do like, if you're going to do it,
0: it treats it seriously. Like,
3: it treats it seriously. If you're going to do it and make it real, this is the real version because like the version that we see is this guy decides to do it. Not even because, I mean, I'm sure he wanted to fuck Iris. Right. Right. But at the same time, the point is like, as we like, kind of learn later, the point is to like, give the tape to Lenny so that Lenny will be fucked up over the process. And so the whole point is, so he is using the thing to exert power, not only over the rape victim, but over the person who's going to view the tape. And so the fact that the tape is involved, the fact that the deck is involved, the fact that all this kind of like, it makes narrative sense that, of course, this is sort of the thing that he's going to do. And then it justifies it by making it horrifying. You know? Um,
0: You get an actual rape and murder, and then the film tricks you out near the end where you get like a fake rape and murder. We should
3: should probably talk... We haven't really talked much about the plot. I think we should, you know, say... If you have gotten this far and you're interested in this film, you should probably watch it. Yeah. We are now going to talk about the sort of the details of um, the, the ending. Yeah, I, I agree. It definitely is a fake out and it's an intentional fake out. Yeah. Because what happens is you get to the end of the film and Lenny uh, sees a video or kind of a, a wire of uh, Faith who is in the process of being raped in a very similar process from the one that he saw earlier mm-hmm. uh, of Iris. And then it turns out that, like, no, this is just a kink scene that he's doing, that she's doing with her boyfriend.
0: Yeah, um, although uh, I would not put it past, like, I mean, Tom Sizemore's character is presented as a guy who, you know, in a different situation, like, if she became, you know, a problem for him, he would just kill her. Oh, yeah,
3: yeah, no, no. I mean, I, there's there's no, um, I'm not defending Sizemore's character. Oh no, I mean, no, no. I, like, it's sort of like, uh, I think it's ambiguous in the film as to whether she knows while it's going on whether mm-hmm. or not. But this also, like, once she sees him, it's kind of like, oh, this is something we've done. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, they're into, they're into their kink. You can't... You yeah,
0: know, no. Sizemore's size to, you know, putting, like, a some sort of strap around the throat and, you know, cutting off the oxygen for a bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Slicing off the panties and doing yep. the thing.
3: Yeah, I, I feel like the one... Like, the one criticism that I've heard from people kind of talking about this movie over the last, you know, 25 years, and Jesus Christ, do I feel old, Todd, saying it?
0: It's <laughs> <that> <laughs> yeah. That. We're
3: both um, old. Uh, Is that the fact that Tom Sizemore ends up being kind of the big bad guy um, is sort of in like an obvious, well, clearly it's Tom Sizemore, so he's the bad guy, Um, which, you know, when I saw it at like 15, I was not necessarily kind of
0: like aware of. It's not obvious. More as that. Yeah. Know? It's so I was not always, obvious at all. And yeah. like in the moment.
3: Yeah. No, I mean, I don't even think like in retrospect, you can sort of like, cannot see that? I was really trying to see it through that lens is well,
0: you know, I, I, uh, like the first time I saw this, I felt like I can remember watching this the first time years ago. And I felt like that was a guy who was going to be killed. He was friends with Lenny mm-hmm. and he was, you know, probing with Lenny into the situation this felt like a guy who was going to like end up dead in an alley somewhere.
3: Right. Well, and I think what the film does, and this is sort of the like uh, dual murder plots, right? Uh-huh. Is that you don't know that there are two murder plots until the very end of the film. Right. And so what happens is you see, um, Iris is being chased down by these two cops and they sort of realize she's wearing a rig and she's kind of like running away. And then she gets raped and murdered. And then a tape ends up in Lenny's hands of that rape and murder and Tom Sizemore's character, uh, sorry, what's his name? Uh, Max, Max, yeah. right? um, Max is just kind of there, you know, to, to be sort of like a uh, dialogue buddy. with, with like yeah. It's like, we're both former cops. We're going to work the case together. And so it's like, okay, you think that like, that's his kind of point in the movie is to sort of be the, the guy that you're, we're going to bounce ideas off of like the best friend, like a kind of right. Who guy. And then, um, as this sort of story goes on, it turns out to be well, these two cops uh, perpetrated a murder of this like rapper who we've earlier learned is uh, was was murdered, and it turns out that like Iris witnessed that and recorded it, and so we always think that ultimately this is the story of these two cops kind of doing their thing, right? Yeah. Um, and then Tom Sizemore's character Max, uh, you know, kind of has this kind of line of. You no, know, i was I'm doing personal security now, but I'm a cop, and I've heard stories about a death squad and all yeah. that kind of thing. Um, and you buy it completely, sort of in the moment, within the kind of narrative of the film. Yeah. It's like, oh, maybe that's a thing, and so it's complete misdirection until you realize at the end, there's one story going on in which there are these couple of cops who are going around and killing Iris because she witnessed and recorded them killing this uh, rapper Jericho one, and then there's also max going around who actually killed iris yeah for um reasons of his own so that he can you know like frame lenny for it and all that sort of thing and so like it's it's this great bit of misdirection and then
0: yeah
3: later on you can kind of pull on the different threads and it all sort of makes sense it all hangs together yeah that's the thing that i really admire is that like it doesn't feel like oh and that's total bullshit except for Juliet lewis's character motivations which Correct, and, as we mentioned earlier, kind of seem uh, somewhat obscure,
0: bit flimpy. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah. No, that's one of the great things about this film. Like a lot of the stuff, just it really does fall into place. Like it, it works clockwork, pretty much. You know, oh, like, yeah. once you get to the end, it's like, oh shit, yeah, I get it, I get it. Yeah, that's that's what happened. And I mean, you know, the two cop characters, <laughs> they both have like Germanic names, by the way, which is no, I, I feel like no mistake at all. <laughs> Uh, right um you know they're they're just straight up the prototypical bad cops they're just nazis like they're just they're thugs and
3: well we should we should talk about the the use of the police in this film because like you know at the time when i saw this it you know as a teenager it kind of felt like you know oh this is a portrait of like bad cops and the bad policing system and how terrible the lapd is But um, coming at this from a 2020 perspective, uh, what looks like the dark dystopia from 1995 actually looks like a really amazing system. Because it turns out the way that this thing is solved is you just give this tape to, like, the chief of police. Yeah. It turns out he's this, like, giant ass who, like, fired Lenny Nero for, you know, some bullshit, you know. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And he's just going to go after these cops and be like, you're fired. You're under arrest. It turns out the system is fine. It's just yeah. a couple of bad cops who were just afraid. And like in reality in 2020, like, you know, if it turned out that, you know, like a couple of cops killed, I don't know, who's the uh, killed um, uh, Donald Glover or something. Right. You know, killed Childish Gambino. Uh, it would just kind of be like, well, that he, he clearly pulled a weapon.
0: Yeah, yeah like, I mean, you know,
3: thing on on Fox News would would spend you know, uh, twenty years making excuses for this kind of bullshit. That's you know?
0: what black people do. It's their community doing. Yeah, that's what, yeah, what happens. Yeah, no, or like
3: Glover, uh, the Death Grips, they killed all the members of the Death Grips.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chief Strickland here, who is definitely inspired by you know Daryl Gates, who was like the LAPD chief during the time yeah. where mm-hmm. uh, Rodney King got beaten. And I mean,
3: what, what's interesting is, sorry, I want to, I want, I want to follow that. But what's interesting is that, like, when this was first being developed in the mid '80s, that it's not like the LAPD wasn't doing some bullshit right before, like the Rodney King and like, yeah. OJ Simpson. In fact, OJ Simpson kind of happened in the process of this film being made. Yeah, <laughs> so
0: weird. It, it, it feels like like there was a lot of revision here when when it, it finally came out. You know, where it's it, like, oh shit, we got this extra stuff we need to throw in here, kind of thing. You know. But yeah, no, like it's, it's, it very much references, you know, the 1992 riots in Los Angeles, but yeah, like I, I don't think it, I I think that's one of the biggest faults of this movie. It doesn't really touch on that all that much. I mean, you've got the rapper Jericho one and like, that's an interesting story. He just gets killed. And then, and then that kind of stuff is kind of just backdrop for, you know, your noir picture, you know, your and, 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 yeah, the, the, the film doesn't, it doesn't go outside uh, that sort of thing. Like, it, it, it it's very much stuck in, Are oh, we're going to do a noir film. There's touches of, you know, racism and cop brutality and stuff like that. But we're never going to, like, go deep into, like, oh, by the way, you know, not only are a lot of cops bad, the cops who, you know sit there and let those cops be bad or also bad cops, like it doesn't do that shit. I mean, it it, it comes back from our, you know, Q&A discussion where it's just, you know, the blue lives matter bullshit. If you're sitting there and you're a cop and you're letting bad cops be bad cops, you're a bad cop too, kind of thing. Right. Like well, it, and, and, you know,
3: and the fact that like policing itself in this kind of context is, you know, like it doesn't confront the sort of systemic racism. Like it sort of right. raised it. In the sense of kind of Lenny comes from his like kind of shithole apartment where he just mm. wore his nice suits and his like fancy ties, and like Angela Bassett, you know, kind of does her thing. And then they go into like the black neighborhood, like South Central right. LA or whatever, where there are like fireworks and everything. You know, you do have like a, f- a few kind of speaking African American characters who don't really get names or personalities. No. Like you spend a little bit of time here, but it very much seems like this is like the place where we go this is kind of away from the kind of the main path of the movie. Whereas a better movie is like as much admiration as I have for this film, like the better version of this movie, it wouldn't be, we just need to get this tape in the hands of like the really good high up cop. Yeah. It's definitely good. And like the reality is like, I handed this thing to like the big attorney general and he burned it alive. And <laughs> then, uh, you know, prosecuted me. For, its, for possessing primitive material or whatever, I, I, I handed
0: it to the DA from Q&A, and he just fucking burnt it, basically. Yeah. Well, and he
3: just said, like, show it to the media. Who, who the fuck is going? Yeah, who
0: cares? I'm, I'm yeah. connected. I'm a, I'm rich white dude. Whatever.
3: And like, in the cops, they get put off with, like, well, you know, we're going to shake our finger at them, and they're going to uh, now be, uh,
0: you know, retired. yeah, now, now they're funny. going to get, they're going to get like honors and the retirement pay
3: yeah i mean in a weird way like la confidential kind of has that like kind of better right
0: thing, right you know where it's
3: like well look there's a political reality here and you either play ball or you don't but that's the film that's sort of about the police department but i, I do think that like it does speak to you know it pretends to be this kind of edgy look at there are bad cops yeah. but it doesn't look at the systemic issue and i feel like like bigelow's kind of later work around the iraq war kind of has the same problem you know you look mm-hmm. at um zero doc 30 and it's kind of like well you know there's some bad people but ultimately you know this is you know and that's yeah. that's sort of a kind of fundamental uh kind of political angle to this that um you know there's just no getting
0: around it there's just no getting around. yeah, it. yeah I agree.
3: And, and it is a kind of a deep problem with the film so
0: yeah but you know beside that i love it i, I think oh, no, it's, no, I,
3: it's 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 hard for me not to just sit and watch it. I may when we get done with this, I may put it on and watch like <laughs> I I do,
0: d I don't blame you. Like uh, I do. I do since it since we decided to do this, I've watched it like three times. Like
3: Well, we've also been delayed for like three weeks. Yeah. So it's easy to just kinda of sit down and
0: rewatch. But it. I didn't I didn't even do it as like, you know, oh, I need to, you know. Mm-hmm. Get get in the groove for the podcast or thing. It's like I remember this film. I remember watching it a lot. Like I said, this was like my big Lebowski before I like went on a fucking big Lebowski tear kind of thing. You know, this is one of those films that I rented all the time on VHS, and um, I think it's kind of great.
3: Yeah, it's it, it is. I think it's a you know in a weird way. As as many problems to have with it, it's it's probably a masterpiece. And um, you know, you and I can have issues with Roger Ebert, and um, mm-hmm. came up as like. I kind of came up with Roger Ebert, like he was one of the people that taught me how to kind of look at films.
0: I think he's a great writer. I think he's wrong about a lot of things, but he's I wrong about a lot writing. of things. But yeah.
3: he was he was a great writer. Um, his review of Strange Days, uh, which you can find on his website, is uh, he gave it four stars in 1995, and I think it's a, it's an amazing uh, kind of you know you know the thing with Ebert is like he saw films one time and then had like a day to turn around an 800 word review of it yeah i think he hits at like a ton of stuff that's like you know he got it right
0: then and there he, he and he also spent a lot of his last years like uh revisiting films and like yeah. changing his opinion too so like people who criticize roger ebert he's a human being he made you know he made judgments in the moment and he changed because he's a human being he evolves yeah. It's entirely
3: possible that over the course of our 206 episodes, I've had a couple of bad takes here and there, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's opinions, and they change. It's weird, the yeah. way the way that works. Learn things and move on with their lives. Especially yeah. if you're
3: a public figure, kind of making public pronouncements on... And that's the thing, again, not to, you know, that's the thing with, the, like, you know, professional film critic at that time, you know, you're little, like, you see a film once, you gotta you gotta write something and put it out there, and then yeah. that, your opinion, and then that then stays as your like official pronouncement on this forever, right? You know? Yeah. So, uh, imagine you get out of a film and you got twenty four hours to put together like three paragraphs about it. And then like, you know, you get held to that standard for the rest of your life. That's that's what being a film critic is.
0: The only thing I wonder if is he ever had a different opinion of Blue Velvet. I didn't look into that from his initial one where he was was like
3: always kinda iffy on um david lynch like i think he he really loved a lot of david lynch and he really had kind of issues with david lynch and i think it was always
0: i I, I think he thought blue velvet was like the most fucking misogynist film he'd ever seen at some point i think he
3: really didn't get the fetish material and i think if you get like and i don't even honestly i don't even know sorry we did this one already i don't even know that lynch necessarily understood everything that is right liked.
0: right yeah no i i know you you had issues with it too so i mean you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah whatever but budget so for we're this we're to
3: have complicated responses
0: to yeah. complicated pieces of media so, how about you know, that human beings with nuance weird
3: yeah it's almost as if pieces of art can have multiple you know we don't <laughs> have to it doesn't have to be thumbs up or thumbs down yeah can you imagine <laughs> you can you can say this is a complicated thing it has,
0: Fucking like, crazy! Finding
3: something difficult, and it seeds in a lot of ways, and it fails in other ways. My God, how can you? How can you imagine that?
0: Fucking crazy! Our our otherwise black and white podcast for all this time. Now we've reached the point where we have nuance in our reviews. it's weird. It's yeah, so crazy. Well, it only
3: took us two hundred six episodes. So.
0: Yeah, we've evolved, people. We've evolved. Yeah. Um, budget for this for forty two million. Box office sadly was only 8 million, uh, so this was a big loser. Um, real big lose career, yeah, yeah. Uh, 1999 DVD, and there's a bunch of like 2017 2015 Blu rays. I don't think there's a North American Blu ray release of this, as far as I can see.
3: I'm I believe I own that DVD somewhere uh, in the house. Um, I probably bought it at like it was one of those like used used DVD kind of deals. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have a lot of extras. I think it only has like it has a director's commentary only for that opening sequence. Oh um, wow! You know, like and then it's like it just kind of cuts off. of those like that's like it was one of those nineteen ninety nine DVDs which is like special features, theatrical trailer, commentary
0: <laughs> on the first ten minutes. No, I mean it's even worse than that. It's like special features, uh, scene selection. Like yeah. fuck you, you son of a bitch! You yeah.
3: know this is one I would love to see, like kind of a big Criterion disc of it at some point. Like it, it deserves was,
0: it; it really does. Yeah, it does. It really does. Yeah. Uh So uh, Julia Lewis, who you know, actually actually fronts her own rock band, uh, did all of her yeah, own man. vocals. Yeah, and, for the uh,
3: after, like she started the band after this, as, as mm-hmm. I remember. Like
0: I think so. Yeah, yeah.
3: Uh, the licks.
0: Yeah, the licks, yeah. Uh, she, but she does all of her own vocals for this, and these are all you know PJ Harvey uh, songs, which is great because PJ Harvey is fucking awesome.
3: Yeah, um, and uh, J- I mean Juliet Lewis Harley Weight. If you're not listening to this at some point in this episode, then Lee, did you? Uh,
0: no, no, that that's where we're going, Odoff. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like that. That's good stuff. Uh, she's super. Like, like I'm I'm writing this right up here with you know like uh, chasing Amy, like same kind of like. Yeah. Oh, shit. That's a great vocal performance, and that's super sexy at the same time. Like, that's just good stuff. Um, So, apparently, uh, James Cameron did a lot of editing work on this film, uh, especially in the final action scenes, but could not be credited uh, as an editor because uh, he was not in the editor's union. Yeah. Um, Although he joined that before making Titanic, and his credits as an editor on that film, so there you go. This was
3: like when he was making True Lies or something. So, in yeah, stuff like directing Arnold Schwarzenegger to fuck Jamie Lee Curtis properly. Yeah. He going like, and now I must edit Strange Days. You know, and ironically, which of these films is? I mean, you know, like, True Lies clearly made like. A thousand times the... Uh, the, the Well,
0: I mean, at the same time, I'd put Jane Jamie Lee Curtis in her underwear doing that dance right up with Juliet Lewis in this film, honestly. Yeah, uh, well... This, that's my own personal preference, but, you know...
3: That,
0: you know, like, it's fine. Yeah, uh, speaking of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Denzel Washington, Michael Keaton, Tom Cruise, Jeff Bridges, Mel Gibson, Bruce Willis, Andy Garcia, Nicholas Cage, Patrick Swayze, John Travolta, Sheen Pien... Bill Paxton, Dennis Quaid, and Kurt Russell were considered for the part of Lenny Nero, and that just feels like, yeah, no. Ralph Fiennes, or Ray, Fiennes.
3: Only, Ray Fiennes is the
0: only Ray Fine is the only
3: person who could do this.
0: Can, can so. you fucking imagine Bruce Willis in this fucking film? I'm not. I'm not no, I'm, I'm, just you,
3: I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. Like you just tell me what you need. You just tell me what you need.
2: What you, need. You, <laughs>
3: you, you wanna you wanna be a girl? You be a girl. You understand? Like if you wanna if you wanna go skiing, you can't ask. <laughs> like,
0: I I would believe Arnold Schwarzenegger in this before I believe Bruce Willis. For fuck's sakes! Oh my god! What if?
3: A... What you have to understand is I'm the magic man. <laughs> the, magic I'm man. Here. I'm the magic man. I am the I'm magic here. man. I am here. For you. Awesome. I want to get you the clips you need. <laughs> Cause to of the clips, because of
0: the chopper. <laughs> you know, I, I, I would buy Michael Keaton, I'd I I'd buy Denzel Washington.
3: Yeah, no, he, I mean that well that would God, the racial politics of that alone would kinda get
0: complicated. Think of yeah. the Nick Cage version of this film.
2: Actually the Nick
3: Cage version I can imagine very yeah. easily. You know, like uh yeah, no. The, but I think I think it is like one of those things of like that Ray Fiennes just sort of makes it his own to such a degree. And it's I, hard to imagine another actor in it. Like I think Sean, really like juicy sequences in it, right, where you can imagine, yeah, like really sinking their teeth
0: into. It. I think Sean. I think Sean Penn could do fucking scumbag though. Like, I think he could do it. I want to see Sean much...
3: Penn. I want to see Sean Penn as the like the tech guy who does the, who, who like buys the clips, who's like, no, this is a great clip. You go right to <laughs> yes. that's the black. That's the part I want to see.
0: That would Sean be Penn. great. That yeah. would be great. Yeah. Uh. Yeah.
3: He's got that slightly higher level of scumbag. Like, that's the thing with Lenny is like, he walks among the shit. Mm hmm. Like, the bits of his trousers are, like, covered in shit, but he stays mostly above it,
0: you know? Yeah, yeah. That's the key, yeah. Uh, So, next time, it's going to be Lone Star, right?
3: Lone Star, yeah. We're going to get away from horrifying police abuse and get into uh, horrifying immigration enforcement.
0: Yeah, yeah. there's there's definitely some stuff to talk about in Lone Star, which is great. I love that film. Spoilers, but yeah, I love that film. Um but yeah, we got Lone Star, we got um Ghost Dog, Way the Samurai before we get out of the nineties. Uh, go
3: back to the nineteen twenties or nineteen thirties. Yeah. I can't remember exactly where we landed on that, but uh, you know, we'll get back to our to our um uh, walk through the decades. Yeah. Until we get tired of it and kind of come back and maybe do some stuff from the seventies, just go, let's just do Italy in the sixties. Done Perform. We've
0: we've got a lot of shit like that's just waiting for us in the 60s and 70s that we might have to t- another take another time travel when we sort of get a little, you know, like, oh, we've done like 1950s movies for eight months. We we might want to get out of that for a little bit, you know, just, <laughs> you know, stretch your legs or some shit. I feel but like, yeah,
3: I feel, I feel like the strategy that we've just hit upon is like, yeah, we do what we want. It's,
0: it's yeah, awesome. I mean, that's what we do. And I think I think the people listen to us know that that's yeah. how we roll. But and it's and we do appreciate.
3: Strange days, appreci- watch it. It's good. Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree. Uh, and we do appreciate that you guys listen and go with us with our uh, weird tangents. Uh, it's very cool that you guys listen to us and you know enjoy what we do. Uh, I fun. think it's the longest episode in like six months or something. It kind of is. We're like an hour thirty, like well, uh, what's a- a- one movie?
3: Normally we do like in a. If we do two, we sometimes go this long these days, but, you know, no one one.
0: Yeah, well, once I cut out the piss break, which is, like, what, couple couple minutes? It's going to be, like, an hour. Well, yeah. I, uh, once I put the music in, it's still going to be, like, an hour and a half, whatever.
3: Right. Yeah.
0: Well, I'll look back at it, be fine. fine. Yeah. Uh, so, Daniel, tell people where they can find you on the interwebs.
3: I am on Twitter, at Daniel Lee Harper. I mostly get made fun of by stupid Nazis for being on Twitter too much.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: and also explain how white nationalism is terrible and uh, all that sort of thing. I also do that on a podcast that I do called I don't speak German, which gets yep. uh, slightly more, listeners- yes, slightly
0: yeah. like exponentially more views than this fucking podcast
3: does. <laughs> but, but like uh, you know, by the standards of our of our of my good friend Robert Evans, uh, who gets slightly more listeners than that, uh, <laughs> slightly, kind of, slightly, yeah. <laughs> You know, who has like three podcasts and like the top 100 podcasts in the world, you know, my friend Robert Evans. Um, but I do a podcast about Nazis and their terrible things that they say and believe or talk about <laughs> in their private spaces. Uh, I don't speak German dot dot com. We've been doing some really interesting stuff lately, including yeah. going after a um, so-called deradicalization network, which is doing... Nothing of the fucking sort, and I'll yeah. some audio of uh, uh, some Nazis talking about how they're not in favor of genocide, despite right, the fact that they clearly are in favor of genocide, yeah. and um, making fun of me and wanting me to die. So you know, go check out our last few episodes. I don't know how I don't know how current Lee is on this, but you know, that's what we'll be doing lately. I don't want to speak German.
0: I'm a few behind I'm a few behind. I can only take so much talk about Nazis. Like I oh, can I'm only so, hear I'm
3: sorry, Lee. I'm sorry. Lee. Do you have to hear too much about Nazis in your life? I, I don't mean, have to I have don't have to. I that's the thing.
0: Like I, I, I kind of, you know, uh petition sort of partition it out, you know, like it's like every once in a while every once in a while I'll listen to like three episodes of I don't speak German. But for the most part, you know, it's like once a week, maybe kind of thing. Fair,
3: fair, no, no, yeah, yeah Sorry, sorry. It's just, it's just sort of like, oh, I'm sorry, Lee. Do, do you have too many Nazis in your life?
0: No, I don't have. Would... I don't have Nazis. I have, you know, I have like you know, dying parents and stuff like I that won't... that I have to worry about.
3: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. I wasn't. I was trying to bring you down there.
0: No, no, it's it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, but uh, you know, don't want to worry about that shit. You can just go to tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find our Facebook. Uh, Apple Podcast and YouTube links, and, you know, join the Facebook group. A uh, good way to get in touch with us, see what's going on with the podcast, give us uh, movie suggestions and all that good shit, you know. We're we're very open to that shit. Like, you know, we do have sort of like a plan, like we have a list where, oh, we're going to do this next week, we're going to do this the week following. But, you know, if someone like, you know, Cameron Sullivan chimes in on the Facebook group and says, oh, you should really do this movie we would consider it and do it and perhaps do it, you know, like we're very open to suggestions. We're very open. Like if, if it touches our fancy, because it's very much on the whim of like, Oh shit. Like I've, I'm, I'm really interested in doing like 1970s French fucking new wave crime films all of a sudden, like that's kind of what our muse sort of goes towards, you know, kind of thing. So, you know, we're open to suggestions. So Get on our Facebook group and try to influence us with suggestions.
3: It's the way to do it.
2: Yeah, no.
3: yeah. Come talk to us on the Facebook group, which I don't comment on, but I uh, look at occasionally. So. Yeah, and Lee reads me all the comments on the show whenever uh, somebody says something interesting. Right, and yeah. even when you don't, I'll hear it eventually.
0: Yeah, Daniel scrutinizes you people, so you should be on your best behavior. Just be better than the Nazis, and you'll be fine. Just be better than Nazis on our Facebook group. That's all we ask, honestly. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's like, it's night and day. It's like, you know, don't be a Nazi on our Facebook group. That's, that's all we ask, honestly, really.
3: It's fine. We're so done.
0: We're so done. I mean, we, we did a podcast before this. I've been drinking, like, a lot. Yeah,
3: we've been, yeah, it's done. It's done.
0: It's yeah, done. well, so. Uh,
3: earlier than normally when we start recording yeah. the podcast. And Lee and I are both like, yeah, it's over. This is. Over. <laughs>
0: yeah. I've been, I, I, I've been horribly pre-drinking this shit, so yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, thank you, Daniel. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, we will be back with Lone Star next time, and uh, until then, farewell. Cheers.
1: Life flows, bringing the essence of hope and rebirth to the permanent other. New days fade into gray and decay and then go away. Leaving us searching for the perfect solution and orange is the color of my revolution. Revolution, orange is the color of my revolution. Orange is the color of my revolution. Orange is the color of my revolution. Orange is the color of my
2: revolution.
0: Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.